Uh, hold on, uh, Steve, before you go. Mike, we're, we're, all, we're missing the top half of your head there, if you could scoot down in, the, in your seat a I'm little too bit. I'm too tall. I'm too tall. You're too tall, Mike. Too, there you go. Now we got it. Yeah. He's, he's been waiting 40-odd years for that. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, USA 7's head coach, Mike Friday. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by the Balanced Palette, nutrition for peak performance, and the Pig & Whistle on West 36th Street, the world's best rugby pub. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy and Steve Lewis at the Fantasy Sports Network Studio 34 in Midtown Manhattan talking rugby, and we are talking some sevens rugby, Stephen, something that you like to talk about. Absolutely. Always, always up for a quick chat about sevens. And if, and, if, and if there's anybody on this planet that we'd like to talk sevens rugby with, it would be like the head coach of Team USA's men's program, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so why don't we see if we have a, a, one named Mike Friday on the horn with us from the UK. Mike, are you there? I am, lads. How are we? You all right? There he is. He's got a new jeans sponsorship, I guess. So you've dressed up for the occasion, right. Mike? Well, honestly, I nearly put a collar on for you two. <laughs> nearly. I'd, I'd much prefer the Kenya tank top. Oh, <laughs> I haven't got the guns anymore for that. I'm going to have to do a little bit more work with Hoodie in the gym. Listen, you when, put the old uh, in. When you're on the horn with Steve and I, you, your, gun, your guns were pretty Pretty, pretty good, comparatively speaking. You're not around the, uh, the the Olympic athletes that you have under your fold. But, uh, Mike, a tremendous, tremendous season. Tremendous season. Uh, you know, you got a lot of pressure on you going into next year because you have to qualify for the – oh, wait a minute, you already qualified for the Olympics. Second place, Mike. Yeah, second place. Not quite the history that we were after. Um, but we gave ourselves the opportunity to go for it, which is, you know, huge credit to the boys. They worked tirelessly for, you know, the whole season. The the staff as well, you know, they were outstanding all year, um, relentless in everything we did. And we just came up a little bit short in the end. And I think the best team won it in the end. Um, those three semifinals, all critical moments, um, especially in that Paris semifinal where... I didn't feel we attacked to, to the potential that we can do. And that was partly due to what Fiji did. And there was that minute either side of half time, and that was basically the series. But, you know, we're going to learn from those moments and hopefully those moments will stand us in good stead come next year. So obviously you haven't spoken to you since. Congratulations. Fantastic year. Um, question is, so what, to what do you, you attribute this astonishing consistency this year? I mean, you, you made semifinals in 10 tournaments. So what was the difference? What, what, what changed from last year to this year that's resulted in this uh, terrific consistency? Yeah, I mean, I think a number of things. We've, we've evolved. Um, I think we've evolved as a group. I think there was a change in coaching dynamic and the makeup of the management team. And sometimes change is good. It's fresh. Um, I think the addition of Tony Rokes um, and his... Uh, ideas, his challenging views, his thoughts um, provoked us and made us look at things differently. We innovated in how we communicate in terms of uh, we review things and preview things. I think it allowed the likes of John Hood to excel in the in the SNC realm, um, and he was able to to stamp his authority on on how he wanted to do things and and challenge the norm, and that was good. 
Um, and I think the, the other piece of the jigsaw was uh, we did that large piece of work on communication and accepting change and, and recognising our diversity and how we can make that a strength. And I think we saw the collective workings of the boys from pre-season through to the start of the season um, on, on that work. And they were able to be more compassionate with one another more communicative, communi their communication skills were good, and more importantly, their listening skills at times of pressure where they didn't, for want of a word, judge one another. They listened to the words without creating some sort of negative or feeling or frustration or anguish, which happens at times of pressure, which allowed us to cope with a lot more of those moments. Um, we didn't cope with all of them. Otherwise, we would have won the series. But that's the exciting bit. I think there's more growth to come from the boys and they've seen where they can get to. Um, and they've seen the, the power of working collectively and using their diversity as a strength. Yeah, so, so um, talking about that potential, right? So you're talking about next year. And as Matt said, uh, finishing second, you've got that early qualification for Tokyo. So the pressure's off. So from your perspective, looking forward selection-wise, um, to a certain extent, you've got to cotton wool these guys to Tokyo, but they've obviously got to play together. Do you see next year as an opportunity to blood new players early on before you bring the team back? Or how do you feel you're going to approach it at this early stage? Um, we've, all, we've already started that process. Um, obviously, we've got the emerging group going to the Pan Am Games, um, and that's a mixture of boys that we see as possibilities for post-2020 going into the 2024 cycle, along with those guys that have broken through this year on the world circuit and need valuable game time as a senior leader. Um, so it's natural evolution of the group. It allows the senior boys, so to speak, as you would refer, the golden generation crew, to, to have some time off um, and to focus on their internships and things outside of rugby. There's a three of them that are going to go all out to try and make the 15s World Cup, which we're fully supportive of. And we'll probably mix and match through pre-season into Dubai and Cape Town and manage people's workloads, their, uh, their loadings, their volumes and where they're at physically. And then we'll start building probably either from Sydney and Hamilton onwards or certainly going into Vegas and Vancouver. And we'll, we'll be going all out from there on in, really, because we still want to maintain our momentum on the World Series. Um, I hear your point about cotton wooling, but the reality is the boys have got to play and they've got to be robust and resilient. And uh, we need to make sure that they're battle ready and they're gladiator ready come uh, Tokyo time. It's just a crazy achievement. You know, first of all, qualifying is one thing, but finishing in the top four as a tier two nation, if you will, I guess we're not... You know, one could argue that we're not tier two anymore because of the success, but resource wise, resource wise, you're pretty much in that category. But it's a luxury that you have. You know, the worst thing that you have to do is battle complacency right now. But over the years, we've we've talked on camera, and you used to say about yourself that less, you know, sometimes Mike Friday can wear on the players. But here you are, all these years gone by with Team USA. Are you a kinder, gentler Mike Friday these days? I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I'm a gentler older man. Um, I think, like all, like everybody, you, you you evolve and you learn and you and you change. And I'm always open um, to 
to trying new things and exploring and, um, and being innovative without compromising the basics and the fundamentals of the game and the, and the essence of the game. And, and it's about getting that balance and perspective. And, you know, we have to continually evolve. I'm a big believer on culture and team spirit and communication and consistency in that area, because I think if you, if you do that and you have that, then you have the boundaries that all men require in order to excel. Um, and then it's about developing the man. As I've always said, I, it's not just about developing a rugby player. It's about developing the man holistically, and then you'll get that better rugby player. So that means that you as a coach have to mould yourself around them, which means you can't be the same in any one job or in any one season. And some may say I've been a little bit softer this year than I was last year. Some may say I'm a little bit harder. It depends on the individual. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm a great believer in, in moulding yourself around the players and trying to give them the best opportunity to succeed without compromising the boundaries upon which you expect the culture to operate in. So um, you touched quite a few good points there, obviously. But um, so moving forward, you talked about, you know, the post-2020 generation and you and I have had conversations about the future of sevens. Um, what do you feel... What do you feel the outlook is post-2020 in terms of players? And how do you feel the success of the MLR, Major League Rugby, the 15-a-side version, may or may not affect sevens in the US? Um, I think we have to be cautious. I think the MLR has been a great addition to the rugby landscape in the USA from a 15s perspective and, and getting more rugby players playing at a, a more competitive level. I still think we need to recognise and understand that rugby sevens is the shot window for America in Olympic sport. And that's the, the key to opening the, the, the marketing suite, so to speak, and allow us to drive and build the game in the in the country of the USA, which makes us very different to a lot of the traditional tier one countries who would base it around 15s. Um, so I'm a great believer in the MLR, but I do believe that there has to be a proper sanctioning and modus operandi about how the MLR will support and provide players that potentially could be suitable to play on the national team or in the residency program for the sevens. There's a lot of young guys that need to experience rugby, be it 15s or sevens at a young age. But what we can't have is them being stockpiled in the MLR, whereby we can't get access to them and bring them into residency program or, or high performance camps or base camps and develop them because they could be the next Danny Barrett. They could be the next Macchio Neffi. They could be the next Martin Ucefo. But we don't get... To, to see them because we can't get access to them. And that's my major concern about the MLR because the Sevens isn't governed by Reg 9. So we have to ensure that the national team can get access and call on these players. And I think it's the MLR's duty to, to develop the players that they want to play for the Eagles, be that Sevens or Fifteens. And if we want them and we use them and we need them, then their responsibility is to develop the next one because that's how the conveyor belt needs to work. And I know that could be seen as a, a tough or a, I want my cake and I and eat it, but that's the reality of where the national team and I, I feel national sevens team needs to sit in the USA landscape for the next 10, 15 years. You know, let's see where we're at then in terms of it, is it established in the high school curriculum, which is now creating this vast population of rugby players that can play at college, which will then create these athletes, not just in the backs and the back row, but the front five athletes, which will allow us to, to take on the world in, in 15s. 
Right. So, Mike, just to clarify for folks at home that, that aren't following that, Regulation 9 allows the national team to control or draw from Major League Rugby, for instance, for 15s, yet it's not in place for the 7s program. And that's what your beef is, uh, so to speak, right? Yeah. Yeah, basic, basically, you know, Reg 9 is, is windows by we, whereby there's international release where international uh, takes priority. That doesn't exist in the, in the sevens apart from Olympic qualification year. But the reality is you only get them, in theory, six to 14 days prior to tournament. Well, that doesn't work in the sevens environment from a conditioning perspective and, more importantly, from, from the way that we operate. So the type of modus operandi I'd be after is if the MLR had a young player and he was under 23 and he wasn't in their match day 23, why wouldn't he release them to the sevens to, to come to camp? More importantly, if it became a, a player that we felt could come into the residency, why couldn't the residency program take over their MLR contract? And in the event that he was no longer going to be in the residency program, that MLR club would have first call on him to take their contract back on. There was loads of ways in which this can be documented, the modus operandi can be formed. I just think that the USA has a, a blank sheet. They don't. They can take the best of what's happened around the world, but they also need to recognise the unique landscape that we have and create uh, a modus operandi that works for us, which will allow us to give us the best chance of being successful at the Olympics, which is so, so important for the American sporting public, and allow us to develop and grow in the 15s world um, so that maybe one day um, we will be able to compete with those tier one legacy nations um, at the World Cup in the 15s. Yeah. So just playing the devil's advocate for here for a second, and we have a couple of questions left, and we'll get back to Steve in a second. Uh, if I'm an MLR owner, for instance, right? And, you know, this goes also to the potential of, of the capitalistic attitude of America colliding with the more, I don't know, socialist sort of setup across the globe in rugby, specifically with like the NZRU dictating the teams for Super Rugby and the All Blacks careers and all those path choices. But if I'm an MLR owner, I'm already beholden to the 15s program through Reg 9. Am I gonna, you know, I don't. Am I gonna lose all these players to the na to the national team potentially when I already have an attrition problem? It's not that many players. Um, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's an issue because there aren't that many USA players. But the reality is, you, you you've got to you've, you've got to make sure that the best players are playing for their country first and foremost because that's our shot window. More importantly, and we've touched upon this as well, we we need all of these players whether they're young or old, playing rugby week in, week out. There are a number of players in the MLR that aren't being released back to their clubs to play in the club nationals and things like that because they're worried that they might need them in case they have three injuries. So I think there's a lot to sort out on the modus operandi, if yep. I'm honest with you. Um, and if I'm an MLR owner, then why am I in this? Am I in this because I want to grow the game? Well, to grow the game, we need a successful national team. And then from that, if you're a, a commercial capitalist owner, then if the salaries increase in the MLR, then the players will have a decision to make or the, will the national team or the national team's backers or funders, be it philanthropists or Golden Eagles or be it World Rugby Money, will they be able to afford 
to buy or take on that contract of that MLR player. But we're not talking about the superstars of MLR. We're talking about the evolving um, players, the 23, 24-year-olds sure. that are exciting that could make a real impact on the, on the seventh circuit. Sure. Steve? Yeah, so just for clarification purposes for, for uh, other people out there, there is no modus operandi, right? So, yes, rugby have granted a sanction to MLR right now without any underlying modus operandi, which is what drives people like Mike, myself, crazy. Um, so, at the moment, we're somewhat relying on reasonable minds coming together and being reasonable, right? Yeah. But it's at the, uh, the whim of MLR head coaches as of now. Hopefully, USA Rugby can demonstrate a bit of spine and they can get a, you know, a, a good working relationship. And, and really, again, it's not that many people we're talking about and it's, it's let young players um, you know, have a crack at both codes until 22, 23. It's not that many people, so I, I'm, th I'm sure we can get through it with um, goodwill on both sides. All right, we, gentlemen, we're basically out of time, but before we go, i got to bring up what could turn into some bad blood between the two of you as Stephen is now coaching the Jamaican Sevens team, and they are going to try to qualify for the Olympics by pummeling Canada. And, Mike, how, how afraid are you of the Lizard and his Sevens team from Jamaica? Calypso Kings. The Calypso Kings. When you're facing off against them in the Olympics in, in Japan. It's a long way away. Uh, I would welcome the opportunity. To, I mean, <laughs> Mike... Fair play. Great, great, great for, for Steve to get the opportunity to, you know, to take the Jamaican boys. They've got nothing to lose. They've got everything to gain, you know. And, and the thing about um, the qualifier is that it's going to come down to one game. And, you know, if Jamaica can be in that, that one game against Canada, who will back themselves to get there, then it's one bounce of a ball. It's two or three minutes into a game. Somebody gets a yellow card. You get a couple of runaways. And the, let's be fair, the Jamaican boys have got some wheels. So, you know, there's, there's every chance, there's every opportunity, and it's about instilling belief in a squad of, to, to kind of achieve the impossible. And, you know, Steve's got a, a great opportunity, and I'm sure he'll relish the challenge and, uh, and the opportunity to disrupt. And, um, That's exactly yeah, what disrupt. it is. I just envision him never coming back from Jamaica and causing all kinds of trouble, like, like Brando in Apocalypse Now. We're going to have to send you out to go get him, Mike. <laughs> Right, and bring them back and rein them in, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I said, I might not come back then if yeah. he's out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've lost it. <laughs> it's just the, it's the, the hole where people go for sevens. You know, they don't come back from Jamaica. Anyway, it's been a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Stephen, as always, I can't wait to see you two squaring off with your respective sevens programs in the Olympics. Uh, thanks, guys. On behalf of Mr. Mike Friday and Mr. Steve Lewis, I'm Matt McCarthy at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34 in New York City, signing off.